a great expression of our hearts to yours. Just reminded on this Thanksgiving weekend where our culture calls us to give thanks. It is good for us as a people before you to recognize your goodness and your grace, to have expressions of these things for all that you've done for us. Continue to guide us as we look at your word now. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. It is Thanksgiving weekend, as you are aware by now. In your own hearts and lives, you've been making preparations. If nothing else, you're getting a holiday tomorrow and doing all these kind of things. And as we start this morning, it's just the question, what is Thanksgiving all about? Isn't it fascinating that in our mostly secular culture, they're still set aside a day for Thanksgiving? I mean, traditionally, this has been rooted in the whole idea of giving thanks for the blessing of the harvest. That's kind of its roots, that we recognize this time of year, that we give thanks for the blessing of harvest. And I often wonder, who are my neighbors thanking? Right? In Thanksgiving Day, why, why is everybody stopping to give thanks to, to a God they don't believe in, to someone that they may not believe exists, that there's just kind of nothing there? Now, that, that said, that's my more pessimistic side, and as I was thinking about that this week, there is a lot of just inherent uh, good to giving thanks, to being a people that understand that it is a good thing to be thankful. I mean, we all learned those magic two words as kids, didn't we? What do we say? Please and thank you, right? We drill it into our kids. When they want something or when they've received something, please and thank you. We understand there's an inherent good in that. It's a, it's a healthy characteristic that we express gratitude towards others. We instinctively know when grace has been extended to us, when somebody has done something for us, that it is only fitting. There's a gratitude in our hearts that we somehow honor that person by saying thank you for that. So my grandkids come to visit us for the weekend and we put up with them for two days and they sleep and they go to bed too late and they get up way too early and they wear grandpa out, grandma too, right? And we, we, we host them and we do all kinds of stuff for them and then when it's time to leave, they run out of the house to the car because they're excited for the next stage of whatever journey they're on and mom and dad have to say, did you thank grandma and grandpa? Right? And what happens? They come rushing back into the house and they give you hugs. Grandpa, thank you, thank you. And it blesses me. It blesses me so much that I'm willing to actually do it again someday. <laughs> right? I will have them back. But there's also something good for them. That when you give thanks to someone else, it is a way for them to, in one, be humbled but it's also a way for them to be connected. Thanksgiving, giving thanks to someone, humbles us because it acknowledges someone else. It's kind of taking your thoughts off yourself and putting it towards the one that you're giving thanks for. In a way, you're lifting them up and you put yourself down. It's good for kids to recognize that. It's good for you to recognize that from times to times. But also, giving thanks is a way of connecting. It connects us because it appreciates that someone cared for me. When I say thank you to someone, I'm saying to them, I recognize and I appreciate what you have done. 
And there's some kind of that momentary connection that takes place. And it's why all through the pages of Scripture we are exhorted again and again to be a people of thanksgiving. Not just to one another, but on a greater scale to the one who has been infinitely gracious to us. Our Creator King. The God of all eternity. The one who has been gracious to us through the gospel and who walks with us in this life. And for those of us who follow the word of God, we understand there's themes of thanksgiving that have really deep roots and are intricately woven into the fabric of our faith and our relationship with God. He calls us to give thanks to him. For a quick example, and we're going to go to many this morning, but I go back to the book of Leviticus. I was trying to think, where does thanksgiving start in the Bible? Where does God call us to be a thankful people? And when you go back into the pages of Leviticus, Leviticus is that book of the Bible where Israel is being introduced to the law and the feasts and the offerings. They're being introduced into how their relationship with God is going to grow and be built. And in the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus, you're introduced to five offerings. It's actually repeated twice. They're introduced in the first sort of five chapters, then in chapter six and seven, they're reintroduced again. And those are five uh, offerings that the Israelites were called to give. There's the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, which are all brought before God. They were brought to the priests, and the priests would burn them. They'd be placed on the offer on the altar, and they would be burned, and the fragrance would raise to God. And it was all about a people coming and approaching God and their sin being atoned for and forgiveness being sought and peace with God being given. And then there is the fellowship offering. The fellowship offering is described or talked about in Leviticus 7. It's also in chapter 3. And let me just read this for you. It says, These are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, they are to offer thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in, thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with oil and thick loaves of the finest flour, well kneaded and with oil mixed in. Sounds delicious. And along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. That was very unique. Most of the things that were brought to God were always made without yeast. Yeast has that sense of, of sin and you're cleansed of all that. But here they're bringing two kinds of loaves with yeast, without yeast. All being brought and prepared to God. And they are to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who splashes the blood of the fellowship offering against the altar. Because there is also an animal being sacrificed. And so they bring these loaves and they bring them before and there's a portion that's going to the priest. And then the meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. They must leave none of it till morning. And so they bring their animal. They can bring the, the calf or they bring the goat or whatever it was that they were bringing. And the meat is offered there, but some of it is returned back to the family. And they go and share in a meal together. They share in those loaves that they've been baking. They share in the meat that has been prepared. They go and it's a thanksgiving offering. 
this is really Thanksgiving beginning. <laughs> they go and they share in this meal and this feast. And the fellowship offering, rather than being just about the removal of sin, the fellowship offering was about the peace that they were experiencing with God. They were expressing their thanksgiving to God. That word fellowship comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which we're probably familiar with. Shalom is that greeting that really just has within it the idea of peace. It really is more than just peace. It's health. It's wholeness. It's your welfare. And in this shalom offering, they are bringing before God, they are celebrating what God has given them. That they have shalom with God. And God, as he recognizes those gifts, is seeming to say, and I invite you to the banquet with me. You know, share together in a meal. This is one of the most joyful of the offerings. It was, it was celebrated in this way and marked by the worship and their family joining in the sacred meal of the offering. And it's the expression of the Lord accepting their thankful hearts. And then gathering with them as a people in celebration. You see, in this kind of worship, the worshipers are coming before God and humbling themselves, recognizing His grace to them. And they're saying, thank you, God. Thank you for how you have displayed yourself and made yourself known. But at the same time, they are drawn deeper into the depths of grace for them. Because in thanksgiving, they are making this connection with the living God who is a holy God and fearful to be approached, but in sacrifice they've come and they are welcome there. John Piper makes a comment about this that I just, I was fascinated as reading. And he says this, thankfulness is an essential guardian of the soul. And therefore we should guard ourselves with gratitude. Evidently, we are fair game for the devil when we don't abound with thanksgiving. Unless the song of thanksgiving is being sung in our hearts, the enemy outside will deceive his way into the city of our soul. And the enemy's sympathizers within will make his job easy. So for the sake of your own safety, strive to fill your heart with thanksgiving. Guard yourselves with gratitude. It's found that a, just such a unique expression of the power of gratitude in our lives. It's a guardian for our souls. And God calls us to be a thankful people. By saying thanks, we give glory to God and we humble ourselves to rest in His grace. And all through the scripture, the prophets, the wisdom writers, the gospel, the apostles, they exhort us to give thanks. And this morning, I'm just going to take us on a brief survey of a number of texts and just to help us think how and why and what blessing do we receive out of this thing we call thanksgiving and why should we maintain an attitude of gratitude before the Lord. And so I'm going to begin in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14, a little longer passage. The other passages will just be some verses. But this passage kind of lays a foundation for us. It says the Apostle Paul is playing for the people at the church at Colossae. In his opening remarks in this letter, he has prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for the people. And then he prays this prayer. So you can turn in your Bibles, 
Colossians 1, if you can find it there. I haven't written all of these verses out for you this morning. I'm giving you some references later on so you can follow all these things. But just listen to this prayer. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man, that's just such a rich and full prayer. Just break it down a little bit here. So what his request is at the heart of this comes at the very beginning. He says, I ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Now he defines that through all spiritual wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Right? Paul wants these people to know what God wants for them in life. God fill them with the knowledge of their will. And then he says, so that. Right? So with his request, he's also saying, Lord, here's why I'm praying this. You know, so let me fill that out a little bit. So that, and he says to the Colossians, you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So know what God wants you to know for them in life so that your life is going to honor him and please him. And what's that going to look like? And he gives these descriptions. One, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, Right? He's praying that so they'll have endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. That's what we're focusing on this morning. But I want you to capture that thought that Paul, as he prays for this church and says, I want you to live a life that is worthy and pleasing to God, a part of that is to be a person of thankfulness. To be able to joyfully give thanks to the Father. It's the call of God in our lives. And starting here, let me just flesh out then how thankfulness is this guardian to our hearts. Why God would call us to this and how thankfulness helps us. That we might be a people who, who consciously and intentionally bring thanksgiving into our hearts and our lives. And so just, uh, I'm going to have six statements for you, and you can follow those. Like I said, here's where scriptures, I'll read some, you can read them and follow along later. But just f filling in this thought, a thankful heart, first of all, recognizes God's redemptive work. That's out of the passage you've just been reading, Colossians 1 here. When he says that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You see what God does here. He's saying what, or what Paul is doing. He says, joyfully give thanks to the Father. Why? Look at those words. He has qualified you. You know, being brought into God's kingdom and, and being in an approach to God, it's what's different than the Leviticus. Leviticus, they were always coming with sacrifices and had to be offered again and again and again. 
But through Christ now, the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. That God has put that upon us when by faith we come to Christ and He's qualified us. He rescues us. He brings us out of a kingdom of darkness where we are separated from God and we are under the enemy's influence and He brings us out and then He brings us in. It brings, he brings us into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of the Son that He loves. And He redeems us. He forgives us. And I think that the joyful giving thanks to the Father at this time for His redemptive works in our lives is that sense of it keeps us longing for His kingdom. Because when I thank God for that grace, I say, and Lord, even more I need to know it. Even more show what the inheritance of the saints is. Show what my expectations of your holiness and your grace and your sustaining and your provision is going to be for me. And my thankfulness keeps turning my heart back to God and longing for Him. You can think of the opposite that happened with the children of Israel as they wandered in the desert, of, you know, in the desert for those 40 years. What happened to them? They were not a thankful people. They lost focus on the promised land and they started longing for the things of Egypt. They started grumbling about all the things that they didn't have out there in the desert rather than giving thanks for the amazing things they did have. God brought water, God brought food, God brought manna every day. God was there present with them in a pillar of fire and a cloud. God's presence was among them. And rather than being thankful for what was being demonstrated among them, their inheritance that was there with them, they lost focus and their hearts went elsewhere. Right? Being thankful consciously focuses our hearts and we need to be thankful for God's work of redemption in our lives on a regular basis. So a thankful heart recognizes God's redemptive work. Second, a thankful heart strengthens our walk with Christ. Flip over a couple of pages to Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul, as he's writing to these, the Colossae church, he's walking through with them what it is to be a disciple. And in those two verses he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. And then this tagline, abounding in thanksgiving. Part of our walk with Christ, being rooted and built up in him in faith, is to abound in thanksgiving. We are to have the conscious awareness of what Christ is doing in our lives on a daily basis. Being rooted and built up in him. To come back to him on a, on a daily, on a frequent basis and say, Jesus, thank you for walking with me. Thank you, Jesus, that I understand your presence with me by God's Spirit. Thank you that I am promised to have your mind in, with me. That we can have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you are shaping me. And I am amazed at moments in my life when I respond to a situation and I think, that was the Lord. 
You know, rather than anger, rather than, than, than kind of responding in a certain way to a situation, there is a sense of, no, I, there is a self-control. There is a spirit-led speaking out his gospel. I think of the story of Jesus healing ten lepers in Luke 17. Do you remember that story that Jesus, there was ten lepers and that he healed them all of the disease? And, and they were euphoric. They were so excited. And Jesus said, go and present yourself to the priest at the temple. Because for a leper, they needed to be declared clean in order to enter back into the culture. And those ten lepers all ran from Jesus to the priest. And it says, one stopped and returned to Jesus and said, thank you. Came back to Jesus and said, thank you for healing me. And the story happened to be a Samaritan, kind of the last one that would have been expected out of the group. But he came back and he said, thank you to Jesus. And Jesus makes this remark. He commends him and says, rise and go for your faith has made you well. You see, the other nine were healed physically. The one who came back and said thanks, who recognized where the source of grace was, Jesus says, your faith made you really well. That there was a spiritual awakening. That there was a depth within him. That Jesus said, you have now encountered me. Isn't that where you want to live? Isn't that where you want your walk to be with Jesus? That you want to encounter him and, and understand his presence in your life? There is that sense of we need to be abounding in thankfulness. Recognizing those moments and those graces that he extends into our hearts and our lives so we can appreciate that connection that he has with us. And so as Jesus helps us in this way and as he understands and helps us to understand his glory and grace, he builds and strengthens our walk with himself. Third comment I'd make, that a thankful heart builds our fellowship in the body of Christ. Again in Colossians, in Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17, let me read it. Familiar verses again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule, and be thankful. And then he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you're familiar with Scripture, you recognize a lot of that is the same as Ephesians 5, where we're told to be filled with the Spirit. And the marks of being filled with the Spirit are speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks to God. A part of our working together in the church, in both of these passages, there's a sense there's an individuality, but it's given to the church. Speaking to each other and singing psalms and hymns together. What is this about? It's about when the church gathers, the recognition of God's spirit among us is there. And a part of that is our giving thanks to God together. 
So these verses directed to the church collective. We are to remind each other of what God is doing and what he has done. That we are to be a thankful people. Why? Because as I give thanks to God for what he's done and what I have seen him doing, it's a reminder to you that God is at work. It's a reminder to you of the blessings and the grace of God that's on display. We were at a fellowship convention just the last week or the week before, it doesn't matter. And it was talking about the vitality of the church and the Tuesday night message, uh, Bob Fleming, who's spoken here back in time and might be a name you recognize. As he talked about the church vital, he went through a number of, uh, of different points. And on his night, he made, this, he made this comment, that one of the great things of the church is that we build a spiritual history together. And when we build a spiritual history together, part of that is our thanksgiving. We recognize what God has done. I was blessed that night because Bob and I grew up together. We were kids together and we were friends. We've been friends all these years. And a part of his message that night was him rehearsing some of the spiritual history that he has lived through. And part of that history was my history. Part of that history is me. Bob and I were in young peoples together and God did an amazing work in our hearts and our lives one night. That God just moved and his spirit moved in a unique way and we shared that moment. It was really the, probably a foundational moment for me ending up here today as a pastor. Because God's spirit spoke into my heart and my life. And God used me in Bob's life. And as we have that, we had this spiritual history together. Right? And, and as, he, as he made that proclamation that night, I was in my chair just going, God, thank you. Thank you for that moment when you stepped into my heart and my life and you called me and you put your hand on me in a unique way. And what a blessing it is to be reminded of that. You see, that's what we are called together to do. That when we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, when we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, when we are filled with God's spirit, a part of that is that we give thanks to God together. And we rejoice and celebrate in what he has done. A couple of weeks ago, we had our 135th anniversary. What a great day. Pastor rehearsing the spiritual history of this church together. Right? And it's great to have that. But you realize we're creating our histories today? That today there can be moments when God speaks to our heart and moves us forward. There's things that happen today that need to be shared that we can understand as blessing and the moving of God's Spirit among us. And giving thanks publicly and together in our groups, giving thanks and rehearsing what God has done for us is a great blessing that we give to each other. And we are called to be this people of thanksgiving. And it builds our fellowship in the body of Christ together. To be a people of thanks. What else does a thankful heart do? Next point would be it centers our prayers. In 1 Thessalonians 5, in just some very short statements, we read this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Just a very direct kind of pithy statement that Paul gives the Thessalonians. Right? Rejoice, pray, 
give thanks in all circumstances. God's will. If you want to wrap it up into just a simple statement, that's God's will for you. Pray, rejoice, and give thanks. Philippians 4, in a similar kind of theme, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear how in both situations of being called to be a people of prayer, that being a people of thanksgiving is intricately linked with that? That's why why when we teach praying, we always include thanksgiving a part of it. Many of you have probably learned the acts, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, thanksgiving, a part of that. All those, the teaching on prayer includes thanksgiving. Why? Because thanksgiving is that where we recognize God's hand and it's God's perspective on what is taking place. I think it's understanding that he is the one who is in charge. You know, I give him all my requests, but in thanksgiving that ultimately he's the one who's going to make sense of it all. You know, as I come to God, I give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. You know, I thank God for everything that happens in my life or your life. There are terrible evils that take place, but I can thank God in all circumstances. Why? Because he's in them all. Because he's there, and I need my heart and my mind to recognize that. So I I give thanks that I come to the one who is able to help. You know, it's like when I take my car to the mechanic, I do it with a lot of grumbling at times. There's a lot of stuff about cars that get under my skin. I get frustrated that they break down. I mean, I've got a car that's only about 15 or 16 years old. Can't I expect more from it than that? It's leaking radiator fluid. I apologize for the mess out in the parking lot. It's getting fixed this week, I hope. But as I go to the mechanic, I anticipate probably paying more than I want to pay. There's a part of me that thinks I could probably fix it if I had the time and equipment. It'd save me some money. I want to tell him how to fix it so that he doesn't overcharge me. And there are parts of me that just don't really want to fix it because the car is not worth it. Right, And I go through this whole process of my griping, but at the end of it, I am so thankful someone knows what they're doing. Right, When I end up at the shop, I'm reminded I'm here because I know he knows what he's doing. That's our prayers. I come to God griping a lot of times. I come to God telling him how to fix stuff. Tell him, you know, here's God, here's what I'm expecting. Here's what I think you should be doing in repairing this. But then with thanksgiving, I go, Lord, but I thank you that you know really what has to be done. And I can come to God with my mess and my griping, but I thank him that he knows what he is doing. See, thankfulness is that humbling myself. I humble myself under the gracious hand of God and I say, you know better. You know, Father, so with thanksgiving for what you're going to do with all of my mess of prayers, I give myself to you, and I thank you for the connection. I thank you that you remind me that you want to be a part of all this, 
They remind me that you are walking with me in Christ and building me up. So a thankful heart centers me in my prayers often. It reminds me of what I'm really doing there and why I'm before that throne of grace that I go to to find help in my time of need. And I go to my high priest and I give him everything that he needs to know and and help me through it all. A thankful heart helps me in all that. Next is that a thankful heart guards our spiritual foundations. This is kind of a this is kind of a negative one. Or it's a result of a negative. It comes out of Romans 1, where Paul is talking about the wrath of God being poured out against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people in this world that they have no excuse. And in Romans 1.21, he says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Do you hear what just happened? They knew God, but they could not glorify Him. They could not give thanks to Him. And as a result, their thinking becomes futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, for idols, made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They lose totally that connection with the Creator who desires them to be in relationship. So not giving thanks, not recognizing where the source of grace is has led to the downfall, has led to the separation of humanity so that God has to call us back through Jesus Christ. See how powerful thanksgiving is? That if you recognize just that moment of grace that has to come from God... And you turn your hearts to Him. It's that moment that the Spirit can begin to draw you into an eternal relationship with Him. It's amazing we have Thanksgiving Day still in our culture. (laughs) Because somehow people say, thank you for the harvest. Thank you for the stuff that grows. Thank you for the seasons. And who are they thanking? For many, it's not God. It's just that sense of life moving on. And there's a a gratitude for eating. There's a gratitude for the good things of life. But they miss the hand from which grace is being extended to them. Ah, but for us who know, who know it's from the Heavenly Father. For us who know and are able to recognize God's existence and glorify Him as God, we give thanks to Him. And we do not experience, or we, we do not experience again that separation. John Piper again, that whole sense of being guarded with gratitude. He says this, In other words, if your heart does not respond to God with gratitude, your mind will be darkened. You surrender yourself to the blinding work of Satan. Gratitude is the guardian of the lamp of the soul. If the guardian dies, the lamp goes out. Guard yourself with gratitude. An amazing statement. Because even for us as believers, there is always that danger that we get our eyes unfocused. We lose that heart of gratitude and the lamp gets dinner. Thanksgiving keeps us rooted 
and where all of grace comes from. That's the purpose. That's what God calls us to. And finally, a thankful heart centers our worship. A thankful heart draws us into the centrality of who God is. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Therefore, dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. He's been talking about meat offered to idols and do we eat it or don't we and what are those meals about? And then he shifts to this. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. See, in thankfulness, our worship is centered on Jesus Christ, on the Father who gave him, and on the Spirit who points us to him. Paul, as he speaks, is saying the, the, the worship that we enter into when the centrality of Christ is there is that which draws us back to him. Jesse, you and the team can come back up at this time. I'm also going to invite the elders to come. The elders and those we ask to help. We're going to pass out the baskets here because we want to share in this participation this morning. We want to come to this Eucharist, as it's called in some circles. Eucharist simply means Thanksgiving. And men, you can just take the baskets and start to circulate them. As you take these cups, we're going to share in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in a few moments. You see, the centrality of Jesus to our worship is who we are as the church. That we exalt him over and over and over again. We share the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We tell the story again and again. Why? Because he is at the heart of it. That he is the one who became a man and walked on this earth. He is the one who came, one of us, to take sin upon him. Because sin has overwhelmed us and we have no way of dealing with it. Except through faith in the body given for us in Jesus. The blood shed for us in Jesus. In the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ who by faith in him gives us his righteousness and we come, become righteous before God. And in our singing, in our looking at scripture, we remind ourselves again and again of who he is and we give thanks. We give thanks for all that he has done for us. We retell the story each week. And we celebrate that we are given by faith an eternal life, an eternal relationship with the living God. And we cannot be anything less than thankful. And so we read that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is telling the Corinthians that his sharing of the body and blood is how we flee from idolatry. For we keep him central. 
we keep him focused. The Lord's table is for anyone who has received this gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. For anyone who has come to him confessing their sins, repenting of their sins before God and saying that we are lost and separated from you, but I believe Jesus has paved the way. That Jesus has paid my penalty and has granted me this gift of eternal life. Baptism goes hand in hand with this celebration of the Lord's table. And we're planning a baptismal service in the near future. If you have accepted Jesus Christ and, and you believe that you can take communion, you are ready for baptism as well. We'd be glad to talk to you after the service about it. See, baptism is the public declaration that this is the truth of your life. If you are not in that camp this morning, I encourage you to observe and to watch and to listen and to pray that the Spirit would enlighten and open your heart to His gift. And so as we share in the table this morning, as we sing this next song, you're going to be welcome just as in your time to take the bread from that cup and to eat it and then to drink the cup celebrating that his body was given for you. Take some time and examine yourself. Allow the Spirit to examine your heart. If there is sin there, confess it. If there is the sense that you are discord with a brother or sister, determine to make it right. And then give thanks as you think about what it meant for him to take on humanity for you. That he became one of us and give him thanks. And then as you drink that cup, you participate in the blood. You participate in the shed blood that was for the forgiveness of your sins. And while you're doing that, there'll be a song being sung. Feel free to join in that or just to listen. But it's a time of reflection. It's a time of remembrance. And then we finish singing that song, I'll come and I'll lead us in prayer about what we've been doing together. And so you eat and drink as we sing this song.